Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again, uh, and we have a fun and interesting one in store for all of you today. Um, my guest this week is a play-by-play announcer for Major League Wrestling, Warrior Wrestling, Enjoy Wrestling, uh, AAA, former Ring of Honor um play-by-play announcer joe dombrowski um his resume is much longer than that obviously but um you know this year he's celebrating 20 years in the pro wrestling business and and i've been looking forward to the chance to get to talk to him about all of the various things that he's done because like outside of wrestling a match uh joe dombrowski's done it in in the pro wrestling world and we go over a lot of that in in our interview here but it's just a really interesting story because of all the different places that he's been all the different hats that he's worn um and all throughout that you know him at least for a portion of that you know being closeted yet finding wrestling as a community that he can kind of immerse himself in and feel comfortable in uh to the point that he felt comfortable to come out. Um, and so, I don't know, Joe, Joe's just a really interesting figure to me, um, and I hope after today's interview, he's a very interesting figure to to all of you, um, whether you already knew who he was or, or you're just learning about him for the first time. So this is a really fun treat for me and i will also say you know i don't you know i don't like to like spoil guests ahead of time for the most part so um last week when we were talking about the big gay brunch with patches and i mentioned akira's tweet post big gay brunch about you know kind of covertly coming out uh as by joe's the one that turned me on to that <laughs> and you'll hear it in the interview like joe's the one that kind of pointed me in that direction that that happened uh and i didn't want to uh, spoil the next week's guest uh, in the middle of the Big Gay Brunch episode, but yeah, shout out to Joe for uh, for pointing that pointing me in that direction to make sure that that I saw that there. So, um, but yeah, like there's a lot going on with uh, with Joe's work right now. Obviously, MLW is still um, chugging along with the uh, MLW Underground series on Reels. They have a couple of big episodes coming up. Um, the War Chamber uh, episode is going to be dropping on the 18th, uh, and then the Battle Riot 40-person uh, uh, Royal Rumble-esque sort of uh, match, yet with pinfall submissions and weapons and everything like that, kind of closer to Aztec Warfare um, from Lucha Underground. That's going to be dropping here pretty soon. And also today, the new season of Enjoy Wrestling debuts um, with some pretty strong matches. Savannah Evans versus Danny Moe and uh, O'Shea Edwards versus Mr. Grimm. Jesus Christ, that match. So it was a perfect time to sit down with Joe and, and talk about all the things that he's been doing in his two decades in the pro wrestling world. But before we get to the interview, um, I do want to touch on a couple things from this week. Obviously, the story's up on Outsports now, but um, we saw the issue emerge over the weekend with Kobe Durst, uh, you know, a Canadian pro wrestler who's wrestled for a, a number of notable independent promotions. And in his promotion of transphobia and at least four promotions have cut ties with them in some way, shape, or form. The language is a little bit different between all of them, but, you know, C4 
cut ties, hoping that Kobe can learn and grow from uh, this mistake and understand why what he did was wrong. You know, Black Label Pro cut ties with him. FML stripped him of his title there and suspended him indefinitely. And of course, Courage Pro, um, you know, basically severed ties. Uh, so I don't know. It's 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 always unfortunate to see um, people in the pro wrestling world still holding on to these beliefs, much less promoting these beliefs um, via social media, um, which has become such a a vital and frustrating tool at times um, for the pro wrestling world in terms of promotion. But it is. Um, encouraging to see so many promotions act swiftly and hold true to their own um, beliefs in the human rights of trans people and in making a ruling and making a decision about their relationship to someone who is steadily promoting those ideas um, to thousands of people. It's It was immensely... Uh, frustrating to see that happen with Kobe. I reached out to Kobe. He did not return my uh, my messages. So he's appears to be just kind of hunkering down from what I'm seeing. I don't know. Either way, good on C4, good on Black Label Pro, good on Courage Pro, and good good on FML um, for for taking swift action. You know, there's other promotions that he's worked with on a somewhat regular basis that that haven't released anything publicly. You know, there's people that I contacted for my article that did not respond to me and have not responded publicly. So we'll see. Um, you know, because la- the last thing we want is to continue to see people like not have any consequences for their actions in that way. So, um, and speaking of that, uh, it kind of hit home a little bit. Uh, later in the week, whenever we saw the uh, screenshots released of messages between a local Pacific Northwest wrestler, Dean Cooper, um, basically um, sending some explicit messages towards a minor um, out here, which, you know, I did not know this, but Dean, in addition to being a wrestler, was also a co-owner of SOS Pro Wrestling, out here in the the Tacoma, Washington era area, um, and you know, good on SOS for releasing a statement. But let's just say that there is a possibility that the company's other co-owners sat on that information for a little bit of time and did not act as swiftly as they are being made out to have acted, um, and. It's frustrating. Frustrating isn't the right word. It's it's infuriating to see anything less than swift action would be taken in regards to this situation, especially following what we saw happen with 321 Battle up in the same area, in Seattle-Tacoma area. Um, because the situations are so, so very similar. Um, and 321 went down because of inaction. And... I know there are a number of SOS pro wrestling fans that don't want to see the same thing happen there, but there are also a lot of SOS pro wrestling fans and a lot of pro wrestlers that wrestle for SOS that are definitely 
feeling hurt by this and feeling frustrated by this and talking about the deja vu of this whole situation as compared to the three, two, one battle situation. Um, you know, multiple wrestlers have pulled off of SOS's card that's coming up this weekend. You know, I saw Jaden out there talking about it, Max Burnside, Vinny Pacifico. So I don't know what that says about the future of, of SOS. We'll see that that's left to be determined, but um, one thing I know for sure is that, you know, Dean Cooper doesn't belong in the pro wrestling industry. And I'm glad to see that one, um, the pro wrestling scene out here is, is not um, shying away from that statement. One and two, um, that Dean doesn't seem to be trying to force himself to stay in it either. I think there was a Facebook post of a, 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 a extinguished match that he put up there. So, um, either way, it's really gross to to see the to read the screenshots of those messages. Not to mention, you know, the accusations from a trainee there at SOS's pro wrestling school that trained under Dean. They being talking about being forced to train while injured and not being comfortable with that, and then like him wanting to add her on Snapchat and stuff like that. Like, there's just a lot of there's a lot of power dynamics at play here. There's a lot of bad acting at play here. There's a lot of simply gross acting at play here when it comes to Dean Cooper and um, people like that do not belong in the pro wrestling world. And I'm glad to see that the scene out here is holding him to account. And now we just have to see how far out this thing kind of bleeds uh, when it comes to SOS. So yeah, real frustrating to see, but good news though. And on good news before we jump into the interview, because um, Hey, Billy Starks is with AEW now. And that's pretty sick. Thumbs up to them. So they got both of the, the teenage, um, the teenage uh, wunder kids, so to speak, in, in Billy and Nick Wayne. So that's where they're at. Congrats to both of them. Um, with that, though, let's jump into my uh, conversation with Joe Dombrowski. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And I'm very, very pleased to have as my guest this week, someone who this year is celebrating 20 years in the game, uh, you know his voice from Warrior Wrestling, from Major League Wrestling, from Ring of Honor, from uh, AAA, from so many places throughout the pro wrestling world. Not to mention what he does beyond that, you know, being a, a booker, a producer, um, all the work that he's done with his, uh, his website, his streaming platform, ProWrestlingLibrary.com. Please welcome one Joe Dombrowski to the show. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing well. I hope there's time for for me to talk after that intro. I, I didn't realize <laughs> I had such a uh, a crazy resume, um, but I, I appreciate that. Uh, I don't get a chance to do uh, interviews like this very often, so so I'm really excited to be sitting here talking with you and and, and talking to hopefully uh, some fans out there that might be familiar with my work and, and maybe uh, a fair amount that aren't as well. So. Um, I'm just excited to dig into it and, and, and tell my story and uh, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, turn a few people on to, to what I'm doing, whether it's MLW, whether it's AAA, whether it's my streaming platform or anywhere in between. But regardless, uh, 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 
our common bond is our love of pro wrestling. So I can't wait to share in that with, with uh, yourself and with everybody listening. No, uh, that common bond is strong too. You know, and, and you talk about your resume. Like I couldn't even, that's like maybe half of it at this point, <laughs> based off of everything that you've done. You've been very, very busy in, in that 20 year span. And it's apt that we talk about being busy right now because we're both, we're recording this like literally, I think a day for both of us after getting back from Los Angeles for what was a very long and arduous but outstanding WrestleMania week down there in, in SoCal. Um, I'm curious to ask you before we get in, into like, you know, your, your origins and, and the, your story, like coming off of LA, like what really stood out to you, uh, down there? Well, um, I always make it a point to try to make it to WrestleMania weekend every year. It's such a cool celebration of our industry. It's so wild to see a major United States city completely overtaken by fans and banners and events and advertisements and um, anything you can think of. And I, I love the atmosphere and I love that it's, it's essentially whether you like WWE, whether you don't like WWE, it's pretty much become the epicenter uh, of the celebration of what we do every year uh, with people from around the world. Uh, I always love to, to, to be at WrestleCon. WrestleCon feels like a family reunion to me because I'll see people that I grew up watching, that, that I know from doing Legends events. I'll see people that uh, I've watched uh, grow up in wrestling that are now in, in AEW or, or Impact. I'll see um, up-and-coming talent that, that I'm just being exposed to for the very first time. It, it's such a variety. Um and again, you mentioned just so many different places I've been and people I've encountered and things I've done. And uh, it, it's almost overwhelming. It's like sensory overload to have so many of these people in the same place at the same time. Um, and, and, you know, it's the first time I had seen, um, you know, Adam Cole since his injury. It's the first time I'd seen Sammy Callahan in, in years. And, um, you know, uh, uh Kalisto, I don't think I had seen since before he was even signed to WWE. Uh, so, you know, guys that, that you know, uh, I've crossed paths with in so many different facets, um, being able to reconnect with them. And uh, I wasn't able to bring my, my full assortment of merchandise and memorabilia and all the stuff I like to sell. So I looked at this as much of a social trip as a business trip. You know, I wanted it to be soothing to my soul. I wanted it to be a good mental health week and not really get bogged down in, in, in the stress and the hustle and bustle of where do I get to got to get to next? What's going on now? What's my schedule? Um, so, so WrestleCon was big to me. And I also did um, uh, pandemonium pro wrestling oh, for, nice. uh, for kid bandit. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Bandit and everything they've done to, to get their name out there and, and, you know, build a brand for themselves. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough, talking about being, you know, thrown right into the fire, to uh, be a, a guest commentator of, of their main event, which was a uh, 30 entrant, but 34 person okay. rumble, rumble match. You had oh, people yeah. entering. You had people entering as teams. You had uh, people entering from the crowd. It was it was chaos. But uh, uh, my first chance to get to work with Kevin Gill, uh, my latest chance to get to work with Beta Scott, who I believe I've worked in uh, four or five different states with. So so that's always fun. 
so I, I enjoyed doing that. And, and beyond that, just just reconnecting with, with, with friends, you know, whether it's Johnny Gargano and, and Elias and walking wild uh, up in the, the, the corporate life these days, or whether it's, you know, uh, I just posted a picture of me and Paul London, one of my dearest friends, and, and I hadn't seen Paul in about seven or eight years. So um, just the camaraderie, the connections, um, and the, 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 the shared passion for what we do always stands out most to me in those weekends. Mm, you're, you're not wrong. I, this was the first time I've actually been to like a proper Mania weekend, too. So like to finally get that experience and to see like just how much this takes over like a chunk of the city in the way that it does is, was was wild to see. I went the complete opposite route. I went to way too many events and shows <laughs> <laughs> since it was my first one. Um, unfortunately, I, I like I arrived like just in time for that relentless show that happened after the Pandemonium Pro show. So I missed that one. But um, I don't know, like it, it was a wild time. And I wish I got to spend a little bit more time at WrestleCon than I did. But but yeah, you're right. Like it's just amazing to see how this community comes together in a way that is just so magnanimous. Yeah, and those weekends, it's a situation where at any given point, there's like five or six really cool events overlapping each other. Yeah. So if you try to hit everything, you're just going to to build up a, an unhealthy amount of anxiety for yourself so you got to pick and choose and you got to pace yourself especially when you're dealing with things like la traffic which i, I took a, a good time to map out thankfully i was staying up in arcadia uh kind of in the suburbs so i didn't have to deal with a lot of city traffic coming in and out but i know a lot of people had it a lot worse than me Yes, yes. I was very lucky that my hotel was near the metro, so yes. <laughs> like that looked out pretty well for me. Um, well, Joe, let's let's get into you a little bit more here now because uh, I'm I've been interested to talk to you for for a while. The first time you, as someone, popped up as someone I would want to have on the show was um, at Prestige Roseland uh, two, I believe, here in Portland, where I live. Um, because if I remember correctly, you were commentating that show with Brian Zane. Yeah. Yeah. And I was at that show live and, um, I remember I felt bad because I, after the show, like I was like, you know, trying to get around to like network and whatever. And I unfortunately missed you <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was, a, it was a bummer that I, that I did, but I'm, I'm glad that this full circle moment has come now in that way because your story is is a very very interesting one to tell because of how much you have done um i mean let's correct me if i'm wrong you called your first show before you even graduated high school right yes yeah i i, I did my first show uh while in high school at my high school okay um i was in 11th grade and I started going to independent events probably five, six months prior. And the, the, the bug bit me. I mean, I was always a huge fan of wrestling. I was always a big fan of anything I could get. You know, back in the day, obviously, no YouTube, no streaming. So it's whatever popped up on cable for me, which was your WWFs, your WCW, your ECWs. And local shows came on as well um, during the, the late 90s boom. And I really didn't understand what independent wrestling was. But a few years later, when I was uh, 16 years old, I 
heard an advertisement on the local alternative rock radio station for a live pro wrestling event. And the main event was Jerry the King Lawler versus Kamala. Mm. Now, I have always been a huge fan of Memphis wrestling, even before I didn't really understand what the territories were. I have a VHS tape I've had since I was five years old of a Kamala Jerry Lawler match that happened in probably 1984, 82, somewhere around there. Um, so the chance to see that match in person, the chance to see two um, stars that I grew up watching and I'm in like the second row or the first row and I can reach out and touch these guys rather than being in the nosebleeds in the Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh was so intriguing to me. And um, the event blew me away. And it wasn't just them. It was Balls Mahoney. It was Little Guido. It was Christian York and Joey Matthews. It was Colt Cabana. Um, it was Chris Hero. It was uh, MTOG20 Matt Cross, who, who became my first favorite independent wrestler. Um, so many talents that, uh, you know, and, and local talents here in Pittsburgh I used to watch on TV that I was rediscovering. Um, I knew I wanted to be a part of it, and, and I didn't know how. But a few months later, my Spanish class, um, and I only took Spanish class because there was a uh, heavy Spanish influence in pro wrestling on TV with luchadors, with the Spanish announce table, Carlos and Hugo. Yes. This all goes full circle. Um, but they needed a fundraiser. And I knew that the local promotion, IWC, did fundraisers. So I kind of middlemaned uh, between my Spanish teacher and the IWC promoter. And next thing I know, I'm flyer in the town. I'm selling tickets. I'm pushing the product. And January 25th, 2003, because um, I was too young to do anything physical. I couldn't referee i couldn't manage i couldn't take a bump i couldn't do anything i was 17 pennsylvania says you have to be 18 to do anything so um i don't remember if it was my idea or the promoters nor connor's but either way i wound up on commentary with uh, my first mentor by the name of jeff gorman uh, who did some early ring of honor stuff himself and i was really really terrible in my opinion i i was <laughs> not good because I was a very, very shy, reserved kid. And this is something unlike I'd ever experienced before. But it was a foot in the door. And, and I think everybody appreciated that I hustled hard. And we had like 350 people there watching it. And uh, that was kind of my foot in the door to start writing for the website, to start doing fill-in commentary here and there. And um, seven or eight months later, I'm on the announce team full-time. Uh, I finally earned my way in. And, and I've held that chair ever since. So um, from my Spanish class... In 2002 and three, uh, getting into that class just to help with wrestling, it was my direct uh, path into wrestling. I had no idea at the time. And then some near 20 years later, it also is helping me so much when it comes to pronunciation and translations for AAA now. So um, I haven't done a lot of things right in my life, but that was one smart call I had. And it's worked <laughs> well ever since. You're always adding to the tool belt, right? It, it doesn't matter like how long ago you might have done something. Like there's always something that you can glean from experiences in that way, you know. And I mean, I I won't lie. I part of me took Spanish class because I was watching like AAA whenever I could find it, you know. Like I I could understand that completely. Like I wanted to know what what they were saying so right. <laughs> like but no i can understand that completely it's, it's interesting to hear like you describe yourself as like this shy kind of introverted kid that that gets put on put put in front of a microphone in that way and and now we obviously see like 
your your personality now and, and all the work that you've done like what were you feeling whenever like they came to you and said like okay well you know you can't work in the ring or any, any capacity like that but we can do this here would you want to do this like knowing knowing yourself at that point i knew from a very very young age I had to be part of pro wrestling. That was that was my destiny. That was maybe the only place I would feel like I belonged. And my drive to succeed always overpowered my fear of failure. So uh, this this was a literally a dream come true to do this. And I mean, I remember as, as a young kid and I had all of the Hasbro action figures and I would just, you know, my introverted self would be in my room all alone holding these events and I'm doing the commentary for the figures and I would sit there and uh, I would be gorilla monsoon. I would be Bobby the brain Heenan, and I would literally sit there and argue with myself. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, how I'm not a sociopath today. I don't know if I'm not one that's, that's up to public <laughs> opinion, but that was kind of the, like, I don't want to say teaching myself, because I didn't really know the rights and wrongs, but that was in a way getting reps in and in a, in a way building a interest and a passion in storytelling. Um, and they were my own stories with my own figures, but, but I really enjoyed that as an outlet. So um, when I was a kid, I wasn't really sure. Am I a referee? Am I a ring announcer? Am I a commentator? Am I a manager? I never saw myself as a wrestler because I was never very athletic. I was never very coordinated. And I always really liked cake too much. I like cake. I like brownies. I like pizza. I like cheeseburgers. I am not going to have the body of someone that I grew up watching, especially someone that I grew up watching when yes. that was the day of the six foot five, 275 pound uh, bodybuilders. I knew that wasn't me, but I knew I wanted to contribute. I knew I wanted to um, display my passion and display my art and display uh, uh, some sort of role in helping do that. Um, so I was all for it. Uh, it's one of those things. It doesn't feel comfortable, but being uncomfortable sometimes is a good thing because you're challenging yourself. So I was a ball of nerves. I, I was, I was extremely, extremely nervous, but I knew like, if I don't do this, shame on me for the rest of my life. Uh, I have to, um, and I, I gave it everything I had at the time. And once I was in that role, it's like, all right, this is what it feels like. This is what I wish I could have thought to do. Let me listen to this back and cringe a whole lot. And okay, next time, this, this, and this, slow down, have a few notes prepared. And gradually, I just got a little bit better and better. I would listen to the announcers on TV. Okay, what are they doing that I'm not? What do they have that I don't? Okay, what can I start to integrate? And the analogy you used is perfect uh, as far as just tools in the tool belt. Cause I kept adding a little bit every single time, you know, you, you can't build a house if you just have a socket wrench, but if you get more and more, uh, you know, to add to that tool belt every single time, now you're prepared for any situation and I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I did my first ever call of a match that was audio only. It was uh, an Ijo Del Vikingo match. And there's a little bit of red tape there with uh, some of the ways you can and cannot present Vikingo. And uh, I completely switched my style and did a, like a, like a, a straight, like uh, to me, it would be hockey style. Cause that would be my, my closest inspiration, but 
uh, sports play-by-play, move-by-move, call-every-little-thing presentation because the viewer, viewer, the audience can't see it. Um, so you never stop learning. And as soon as I stop learning, uh, it's time for me to, to ride off into the sunset. But uh, mm-hmm. um, so glad I took that step and um, haven't looked back since. No, I, I saw you tweeting about that, uh, that switching up your style for that, for that Vikingo match specifically. I need to listen to that because I need to know how you describe move for move, what Vikingo does in a <laughs> ring just to start off with after finally seeing him live for the first time this weekend. Like just, I have no clue how you even keep up with what he can do. Um, but the words but yeah. haven't been invented yet that really no. describe Vikingo. I had a very limited vocabulary <laughs> compared to what he can do physically. Yes, yes. You mentioned that, um, you know, part of the reason for your drive to kind of really challenge yourself and, and step into pro wrestling was because you felt like it was a place where you belonged, where there weren't others. Like, what was it about pro wrestling that made you feel like it was a, a community built? for you to kind of slide right into in a way. I feel like pro wrestling is escapism at its root, um, where maybe if you're not happy about your own life or about yourself, because I I grew up with very minimal self-confidence and self-esteem and, and it's, it's, it's something I'm kind of still dealing with today, but you look at these larger than life characters on TV and these huge personalities and you kind of live vicariously through them. And while most kids maybe were living vicariously through Hulk Hogan or ultimate warrior, um, maybe for me, it was a little more gorilla monsoon or Bobby Heenan or, or, or somebody like that. Some of the, the, the more larger than life characters. Um, but that was, that was my comfort. That was my happy place. And um, I always go back uh, uh Johnny Gargano, one of my favorite lines he ever said during an interview, they asked him, why did you decide to be a wrestler? And he said, well, when I was a kid, I had three dream jobs, uh, either pro wrestler, Power Ranger or Ninja Turtle. And then I grew up and realized two of those weren't real jobs. So um, pro wrestler was left. (laughs) Pro wrestler is a real job. So like I just it's always been just an overwhelming passion of mine. And I, I feel like I, I know more about it. I can immerse myself in wrestling facts and stats way more than I could like as an accountant or, or like managing your money or any kind of a, a nine to five job like that. I've just never seen myself as an ordinary run of the mill, uh, white picket fence, you know, dependable 40 hour work week type of person. You know, I, I, I have an adventurous side and it just, it got so deep into my heart and got me hooked. So emotionally, uh, this is, this is all I care about. All I want to do to be a part of this would be, you know, beyond a dream come true. And, and I've been chasing that ever since. You know, and it's a vital thing to have, especially in those like formative years, like have a place where you can like point to and be like, I want to be part of this community. And then to have that community continue to build up around you and, and feel like you belong there. And, you know, we're, we're of a similar age. We, we both like came up around in the same era um, in terms of like attitudes towards LGBTQ community in that way. And I don't want to make assumptions about any like community in, or environment of like that, you know, that you grew up in, but you know, 
sometimes that can be a real big impact on a desire to to find a community that you feel like you belong in if you're in a place where um lgbtq identities are stigmatized in some way i don't know if if that if you had any experiences like that or if any of that influenced that desire to find a, a place that you felt a part of um it, it could have i i think i think the wrestling bug bit me kind of before i hit that realization but i i can definitely speak to the fact that um Growing up in the 90s as, as part of the, the LGBTQ plus community was was much more difficult. Um, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, you know, I, I first kind of realized it. And again, I grew up very shy, very sheltered, only child. Um, I really was kind of learning as I go. And I feel like I was just starting to get a little bit comfortable with myself and you know hey we're in sixth grade we're the oldest kids in the building we're cool now and wrestling's red hot like out of my sixth grade class if there were let's just say there were 12 boys in it at any given day five or six of them could be wearing an austin 316 shirt and that seems so insane to people that didn't experience that but it's true it's very um, true <laughs> yeah um so like i, I kind of had some 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 clout before clout was really a word you know and, and then um i start to to feel feelings and experience things that i hadn't before and um it, it scared me to death honestly um because it wasn't a time where it was celebrated to be different or celebrated to be unique. It was very much, you know, uh, there was the societal expectations. And unfortunately, the society that I was living in was sending the message that there's something wrong with me. Um, you have to remember, too, anybody old enough that's, that's listening to this at the time, this is right around the time Ellen DeGeneres is coming out. And it's a scandal. It's, you know, there, there's people calling for her TV show to be removed. There's stations in the Midwest that are refusing to air it. There's, you know, of course, everybody with, with, with their punchlines and their one-liners. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, yay, Ellen, everybody, let's, let's be happy. It was, oh, my God, what, what of the children? What of our society? How dare they put this on? mainstream television like it's some kind of you know uh, uh this horribly controversial thing to just be yourself and, and 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 love who you want and those reactions to what ellen was doing were bombarding me on the tv or i would watch a lot of vh1 and i gravitated towards the culture club it, it was still a music station back then that's how old i am um <laughs> but like boy george and that was met with a lot of controversy and scandal and things like that and unfortunately my pro wrestling was not very forward thinking at the time and i'm in the time period of gold dust where um you know these these characters were there to elicit heat and hatred from its audience and to chant uh, horrible slurs um, and, and stereotypes and the lowest common denominator of, of you know, uh, uh, sexual identity, of uh, race, of ethnicity. We're all, you know, uh, maybe not as strong as they were, but they're all still kind of prevalent in the 90s. So 
you know, I would watch old tapes of Adrian Adonis, who, you know, he passed before I started watching wrestling, but I would listen to like babyface wrestlers cut promos and saying like, well, he's a great wrestler. He's a phenomenal athlete. I don't agree with his lifestyle. I think it's wrong, but he's a great wrestler. And that's the good guy. Like that's the, that's the prevailing positive message that's coming out. And, and, you know, being hit with that and already being the shy kid and feeling less than and feeling different than and not being able to really relate to kids because I wasn't really in those social circles um, that just really regressed me. And it's, it turned into like um, not a sense of pride of who I was, but maybe not a sense of uh, uh, maybe at first a sense of shame of who I was just because of the messages I was getting but but then later in life, certainly a, a message, a feeling of of shame as to how others might take it or others might react to it. You know, um, yeah, I, I didn't really feel comfortable or safe um, expressing myself. I, I didn't feel I didn't have a, a positive LGBTQ role model. Um you know, in wrestling, in pop culture, in my life, uh, there really was no one to turn to that I thought could 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 understand. And anybody that I felt I could turn to, I, I didn't think would understand or maybe would judge or, you know, when you have this this secret in your mind. And the other thing with me is uh, I'm, I'm a chronic overthinker, so I'll always bring out the worst possible scenarios and have to talk myself through them. Um you, you build this up in your head that oh, if anybody finds out, um, you know, nobody's going to talk to you anymore and you're going to be bullied every day and you're going to be ostracized or later on, you know, it's going to ruin your wrestling career and it's going to overshadow everything you're doing or nobody's going to want to share a locker room with you or whatever the case was uh, that just weighed so, so heavily on my mind. And I think, um, I, I think, the, the wrestling community was where I wanted to base my life in and base my, my vocation in. Um, but it wasn't really that outlet yet for me to be me. And I didn't really know where to be me. And that messed with my head for a long time because I wasn't able to learn how to express myself authentically i wasn't able to show uh, or learn to show love and affection in a healthy way i wasn't able to show my frustration or my depression in in, in a healthy way because all of these feelings i i had to keep locked in and, and kind of suppress um because i had to put on this front that i was somebody else i was somebody that i wasn't or um, at least I felt I did. And, and at the time I probably did. And again, like the nineties, the word gay was a synonym for stupid. Yeah. Um, that, that was the adjective version and the, uh, uh, F word slur was the noun version and, you know, shut up. That's gay. Don't be such an F that was, yeah. and, and it wasn't even meant as specifically, I believe you're a homosexual. It was just it was across the board for any time anybody did anything negative. That's the kind of connotation it had to it to where, again, I hear that daily. And it's like, oh, man, if anybody found out I was really one of those, like, how much worse would I get it? 
Um, so that put me very, very deep in the closet and with a very, very low opinion of myself because I felt like I wasn't able to be myself at all. And it was a very long, long journey. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it was a very long, long journey for me to get from um, confused teenager um, realizing who he is and, and and just feeling so overwhelmed over what that might mean or how that might complicate things to who and what I am today. And I'm still a work in progress. I'm still, I still feel like I have some trauma and some baggage I'm working through. I've been in therapy throughout 2023 and a lot of what I'm confronting um, as far as some of my behaviors or my opinions of myself now I'm finding are rooted in that same like 16 year old kid that I kind of uh, haven't been giving as much attention to. I'm not, I don't want to get too deep and, 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 and get, you know, uh, really, really heavy with this, but um, to, 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 to bottom line it, just um, the nineties and just the, the time period, I wasn't strong enough to handle that um, challenge in front of me. So I suppressed it and I survived until I was able to kind of work up the confidence and see the changes in society to where I could be a little more authentic. But um, uh, it wasn't a good time. It wasn't a, 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 a happy time for me um, because as a teenager, you're a ball of emotion as it is. Um, even under the best circumstances, you're uncontrollably emotional. <laughs> good, emotions, <laughs> good emotions, bad emotions, new emotions, and like being having to suppress all of those just was a giant, giant albatross and just a huge weight on me that um, was just something else I had to 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 overcome, to, to to live with, to carry until I could learn how to um, be myself and, and be in an environment that would allow me to be myself. And and I'm so thankful that that today and over the past several years that has been pro wrestling. But, you know. There was a long way to go because when I broke in, I could not name one single out LGBTQ pro wrestler. And I'm sure they were out there. I'm not, you know, disparaging anybody that may have been on the scene, but I didn't know who they were and um, I didn't know how to reach out to them. And again, pre-streaming, pre-YouTube, I probably didn't know how to find them. And uh in my head, it was me against the world uh, for a long, long time. So uh, uh, looking back at that, I'm so thankful to see so much growth and change, you know, not just in wrestling, but but in the world since then and a lot more progress to make. But uh, but I'm really happy to see where we are now. Yeah, I mean, the the fight never ends, like you said, like the fight, the fight never ends in that way. But, you know, dealing with all of that, not just like the 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 quantity of emotions that you feel at that age, but the intensity that you feel them at the same time. Like there's, I, I think if you talk to anybody in our community, like they have some form of like stored trauma from, from an era like that. And and it's important to, you know, to continue to, to recognize that and work through that stuff. And I'm glad that, you know, you, you were able to like overcome that for yourself and to find that place of, of comfort, um, you know, be it pro wrestling or, or otherwise, you know, that's always the end goal with these sort of things. I am, I am curious to ask you though, like at what point 
did you start to feel more comfortable about that aspect of yourself and sharing that with the people that you shared this business with? It it really started to um really started to present itself when um I started developing a lot closer friendships than I had had um, pre-wrestling. It was always very difficult for me to uh, connect with the kids in high school. And not just because of, of, of my sexuality, but um, I was also straight edge. So um, what does everybody like to talk about? All right. How drunk you got last weekend? Nope. How high you got last weekend? Nope. Uh, Pittsburgh's a big football town. I'm a hockey guy. Sorry. Steeler game. Didn't watch it. Um, all right. What's next on the list? Uh, what girls do you think are the hottest? Nope. I mean, what else you got? You know, <laughs> like everything on the list. I can't relate. Like, does anybody want to discuss like ice cream or something? Because I, I like that. I mean, so um, <laughs> but when we get into wrestling and and there's other people that are straight edge and there's other people that are socially awkward. And again, like what I said earlier, just a magnet for escapism. There's so many people in wrestling that have come along that I've seen parts of myself in, uh, um, not not in a sexuality way, but in a way of just feeling uncomfortable in their own skin and just being kind of socially awkward and being that outcast as a, as a kid in school. And now you have a place where you belong. And I, I think over time, I started to let my guard down a little more and I started to be a little more open or, or, you know, the, the, the layers on the wall started to, uh, to crumble down. And once I realized that I felt safe and once I realized there were certain people that weren't going to judge me, um, you know, it, it became a different set of circumstances. Um, especially once I got a little more tenure in wrestling, because it, Again, whoever you are in wrestling, when you're green kid, young boy, 17, 18 years old, it's also nerve wracking, you know, because you don't want to piss off a veteran and you don't want to say the wrong thing. And you are thinking this is your whole life. So you don't want to screw up now and get thrown out. So it's much easier to get thrown out the door in the first year than it is in the 10th year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, as I got more comfortable with that, I got more comfortable with all right, they're, they're, they're accepting me. Maybe they'll accept a little more of me. And, um, you know, I could be a, a, a little more of a, a smart ass or I could be a little more of, you know, opinionated. Or I can be a little more, you know, playful. Whatever the case is, I could let my personality come out and I could be just this sarcastic idiot without fearing somebody would take it the wrong way. Um, so that... That I, I probably came out to probably, I would say five or six people individually, uh, privately. Um, the first one was in was in uh, uh, I think ninth grade pre wrestling, and um, no knock on no knock on uh, uh, who I came out to uh, uh, at all, but I, I wasn't comfortable with it. I wasn't ready. It was it was a me thing um, because again, it's a huge step, and and in your mind everything changes um but i started probably mid to late 20s um coming out you know one-on-one -on -one with, with with my closest closest friends and as that became accepted um i got more comfortable and finally when i turned 30 is when i decided to 
make a public statement. Um, when, when both numbers of your age change, you, you really look at your life, you know, and the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, and I realized that I wasn't happy, you know, and, and I, and I, 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 I still, I, I was better than I was when I was 16, but I still wasn't being completely real and honest with people. And I still had pent up emotions and I still had pent up anger and pent up depression and just these, this hyper emotional state that can never come out. And, um, I, I made a statement. I've always been kind of a late bloomer. I didn't drive till I was 30 either, which blows people's minds. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, it's it's one of those things when it's time, I'll know. And and with with with, with this, with with posting about my my uh, sexuality, when it was time, I knew. And I I did not have the guts to do it on my 30th birthday like I planned. It took me two more months to do it. But late January 2016 is when I finally did that. And um, I can't describe it, it. It was the most powerful wave of like positivity and love that I'd ever felt when I did that. And it was just hundreds of, of, of likes and encouraging comments and just love and um, putting myself back in the shoes of like that, that 13 year old, me just realizing this and like oh my god well my my whole life as i know it is over just to, to, to fast forward that 17 years to that outpouring um to this day it's one of the greatest feelings i've ever felt and to this day when a friend of mine or when somebody else in the wrestling community has a coming out post and i scroll through all the the comments i like live vicariously through them and it puts me right back in that moment and i'm so happy for them to be able to 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 take that step like i did um and uh part of me wants to say i wish i would have done it sooner but knowing me i i probably wasn't ready even if the world was ready i probably wasn't ready yet because of just how much trauma i'd grown up with um but i mean i i think it happened if not the way it was meant to it happened in a positive way to, to get me where i needed to be i'll put it that way um and yeah i'll never forget doing that and, and and really since then it's just been in my opinion in my head kind of catching up for lost time you know and like um getting my head where it needs to be getting my heart where it needs to be and 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 just um learning all the things that i wish i would have learned you know, I'm so jealous of so many friends of mine, like, oh, our, my first kiss and my first dance and my first date, my first time with a girl and all this stuff that I should have been experimenting with as a teenager. Like I was too scared to even um, approach that with anybody. Like, what if I say something to someone and, and they're and they're straight or what if I uh, uh, ask somebody and they, you know, hate me forever? Um, I when I was in sixth grade is when I realized I was gay and, and um, the uh, uh, this is a feather in my cap because the cutest boy in class kept flirting with me. Okay. In sixth grade. Okay. I don't know why I, I don't know why I peaked in sixth grade, but I did. Um, and but I was so afraid to like flirt back. And I, I don't like he, that kid doesn't live a gay lifestyle today. I believe he's married with kids. I think he was just feeling out his own sexuality. No big deal. But like, even though he was doing it and kind of like being like uh, touchy feely and like rub my arm or whatever he was doing, 
I was so afraid to do that back just because, oh, people might think something. People might assume something. Just like um, all that stuff was built up inside of me for so long. And um, I didn't give myself the opportunity to um, learn and experiment and just try things and just be a kid. And I feel like a lot of my that and just being sheltered in general, I feel like a lot of my childhood was like missing or like or like. I was to myself so much, but there's so much I missed out on that I didn't realize at the time. Um, so it was weird to be doing that at, at 30 and kind of like uh, figuring out like uh, uh, how to present myself and how to portray myself and how to just how to just feel relaxed and feel at ease and be able to express myself in a comfortable way. And, and you know, again, it's it's just like with wrestling, I think life is a constant evolution and a constant learning process and you never stop. So, um, but I've really made it a point 2023 to, to, to ramp up my mental health and ramp up, uh, uh being in, in the best place I've been. Um, but it's kind of frustrating being a late bloomer in some of those respects, but at the same time, I'm just so happy that I'm able to, to be myself now and, and kind of just, you know, be on the playing field, be, be, be doing what I want to do, um, you know, in wrestling and in life. So, but it's, it was a long road to get there for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's one aspect of, of coming out that I think a lot of people either, you know, at some point struggle with like in the run up to it, I feel like, but also like realize a different, a different context for post it in a way is that like, it is all about your own timetable. Like no one should feel forced to, to do that for, for anybody else other than themselves. It's, it's a deeply personal thing that you do and no one should be um, made to feel less than for taking longer than some other people did, because we're all on this journey together and we're all here, you know, to support one another because we all have very similar experiences in, in a lot of instances too. So that was that's really cool to see. And and the timing of it is interesting too, because like 2016, that's kind of like right smack in the middle of your like on again, off again tenure with Ring of Honor, which of course, you know, one of the people that brought you into Ring of Honor, Carrie Silken, uh, an out LGBTQ um, person there that was running Ring of Honor. I don't know if he was out at the time, but, you know, as since we've, we've learned that he's a member of the community. Um, what was... Do do you have any interaction with with Carrie uh, post that or like was there what was that was there any like interaction between the two of you there and when, whenever that announcement was made? Um, I mean nothing incredibly deep or involved, but I I I believe I remember him congratulating me and, and being one of the ones to to comment and 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 you know, lend his support. And I still see Carrie from time to time, um, you know, to this day at, at conventions or, or at events. And Carrie always greets me with a hug. He's always, um, always been very supportive of me and, and appreciative of me, even, you know, before I was out. Um, I think he's always uh, um, been in my corner and I've always appreciated that. And uh, without him, I got to credit him. I have to credit, uh, Jimmy Jacobs, who went to bat for me, and I got to credit Adam Pierce, who was booking at the time. Those were the three major components that are why I got into Ring of Honor for the first time in 2010. Um, and my first, you know, 
foray with a, a national promotion per se. Obviously, they would grow a lot, you know, bigger as time went on. But uh, uh, very, very thankful for for all three of them and their involvement in uh, in my career and my journey because that was again just level up, step up. Okay, I can do it on this level, on this level, on this level. Can I call a match on this level? Can I call Kevin Steen versus El Generico? Can I call? Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, you know, can I call uh, Motor City Machine Guns? Just all this top-level talent um, and, and such a passionate audience. So Ring of Honor forced me to step up my game and forced me to get better than my best. And one of many things that, that, that kept pushing me along the way to keep improving and evolving. What were the key challenges for you in making that jump? Because like, to that point, you've been, you know, working with IWC and I know with uh, CAPW in Cleveland, like these more local, regional um, indies and, and then making that jump to Ring of Honor, like you said, a national company. Even then at 2020, at, at 2010, they're, they're still like starting to get onto that scene right back when Cena uh, and Generico are starting their thing and that feud is putting ring of honor on the map in, in wrestling circles like, all over again. Like what challenges were, did you feel were like the hardest to, to overcome and making that jump in terms of presentation? Uh, two answers. Uh, the first challenge was the storytelling is a lot more involved where on the independence, a lot of time the bookers and promoters will just be hands off or maybe just feed a couple notes here and there. Um, but I really don't remember getting a lot of direction from a lot of independent promoters um, when I was really young. And again, um, I don't sound like a broken record saying free streaming for YouTube, but the uh, audience that was listening to me um, wasn't necessarily as big. Uh, it might be a dozen people buying a VHS tape. Uh, it might be... Um, you know, just uh, one airing of a local television show. So I don't think it was as as big of a priority as it is today. But when you're in Ring of Honor, there's a format sheet, there's notes, there's um, one thing I stole from from Adam Pierce that I, I used when I booked events. Every match, he would have he would write underneath of it, business. This is the business of the match. Every match has some sort of business that we're accomplishing. We're not just there to have a great match and then wave and then goodbye. We're there to establish something. We're there to get something over. We're there to get a message across. We're there to further a story. We're there to, for somebody, somebody's getting a big win. Somebody's got a title shot coming. Whatever the case, whatever the, the main focal point of that match is, um, that's the message that we need to get out there. Um, Steen and Generico is a great example because you've got a rivalry that went on three, six, nine, 12 months and a, a relationship that at that, even at that point had been whatever, eight, 10, 15 years, uh, you know, in existence dating back to when they started. So a um, little more in the weeds, a little more pressure as far as getting across what you need to, the further up the chain you go, the more it feels like work because the more they expect out of you. And the other thing that was difficult is most of the shows I did for early ring of honor, were voiceover. They, that was my first time doing post-production. So I wasn't mm. in the building. I was in a, a, a quiet, empty room in Bristol, Pennsylvania, which is now uh, Cheeseburger's uh, Worldwide Dojo. And I, I was sitting in there uh, with uh, uh, the Ring of Honor office staff. 
and Dave Prezak and I would call the matches. It would be dead silent around us. We'd have a, a, a mic in front of us to talk into. And then we'd stop down in between matches. And behind us would be like Shane Hagedorn answering phones, uh, uh, packaging up <laughs> merchandise. And it was just, it was, it was an office. It was business operations. So um, it's really hard to keep your energy up or to even have it to begin with when there's no noise around you. Um, I had to kind of condition myself to be up at a certain level to where it feels like I'm talking over people. Uh, if not, you get a disconnect where you've got 2,500 screaming fans and you've got just me talking normally. Well, this is not how I would speak if I was ringside. It would be energetic and it would be lively. and It would be Ring of Honor here live tonight in the Manhattan Center. And I had to kind of condition myself to do that. And uh, again, it took time. And I've done so much of it since. So again, it was a necessary uh, learning lesson along the way. It is interesting to me, like the, the differences in approach that that come up depending on the environment that you're in for, for calling something. Because I can imagine like not having a crowd to feed off of too um, and, and being just in like, just a room like dead silent around you like having to concoct this environment in your own head for yourself in a way to to feed off of is just seems like a very interesting talent to to develop over time especially considering like you said like there's so many places especially whenever you you know are doing international work you know here and there like i know that you that with with triple a shows like you've been there in person for 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 those but you know at the same time like there's a lot of that work that happens like where you're just back home calling something over over a headset and not being in the building i've, I've actually done several AAA shows remotely yeah live, which is also difficult because if uh your stream lags or your internet goes out yikes good luck yeah <laughs> it's it's a hundred percent live and, and um the vast majority of them have gone very smoothly. There was there was one snag along the way, but uh, um, anytime I, I I work from home or I work in a studio setting, I always, if I can, I like to have just that 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 one ear tuned in so I can get the crowd or I can get any ambient noise or any like verbiage from the talent in the ring, and that helps kind of condition my voice to where I feel like it needs to be. Uh, but with Ring of Honor, we didn't have that, so yeah, it was. Uh, the 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 audio was turned down low enough to where the mic wouldn't pick it up because uh, you don't want an echo and you don't want that to bleed over. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a lot of us just manufacturing it. And sometimes we do two events per day. So <laughs> we're sitting there for six hours, you know, with a little bit of a break in between. And it's hard to be on. It's it's hard to be on for three hours to do a standard event, even if, when I'm there, you know, you get tired especially with, with so much high-end stuff. There's no cool-down matches. There's no enhancement matches. There's no stinkers. Like, Ring of Honor is, is you know, excellence. So, uh, but in many respects, it helped condition me to doing TV tapings now with MLW because sometimes we're out there for a long time because we've got four weeks to do or we've got, um, you know, a Battle Riot, which is going to go 45, 50, 60 minutes. So um, it's uh, uh, 
endurance was another thing I learned <laughs> from Ring of Honor to, to, to keep me in the game and just keep me up. Like, All right, we got two more to go. Got to kill it because these are the big ones people are paying to see. And just give your best. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. I do want to talk more about, about AAA and, and MLW, but before we get there, 2023 is also interesting year or another anniversary for you in that it's now 10 years since uh prime wrestling uh kicked off and you know i feel like that was and, and correct me if i'm wrong but it feels like that experience seemed very formative as well like putting you in the position of of booker and and promoter and producer and so many other different facets of the the industry that um you built something you know of yourself uh in a way like looking like with it being like 10 years now since since you started prime like what lessons do you feel like you learned from that experience as well as well as with welterweight well i i will say it's it's and not to correct you because you yes. are the host but it's 10 years <laughs> since prime wrestling ended Oh, um, oh, that's I, you're right. You're right. You're right. My October, apologies. October 20th, 2013 was our last show. We had a six year run on television. It was uh, Sports Time Ohio, which was the cable home of the Cleveland Indians at that time. And um, that was that product. I poured more of myself in than anything I've done before or since, because I was the lead announcer and the booker and the press release writer and the website updater and the social media manager and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was, you know, I, I, it's cliche to do ECW comparisons, but I, I was kind of the Paul Heyman and that I wore almost every hat from a wrestling operation standpoint. And then, yeah, towards the last year or two, I had to wear a lot of the hats as far as 
local promoting too, which was, which was difficult um, and honestly burned me out. Um, but being able to work with and help young talent grow like uh, Johnny Gargano and Gregory Iron and Matthew Justice and Ricky Shane Page and Eric Ryan and Bobby Beverly and um, Facade and um, we've had other people come in and out like like Madison Rain and Marty Bell and Jimmy Jacobs and Brody Lee and Zach Gowan, um, Portia Perez and just all these great talents that, that came through the doors. Um, and, 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 you know, some of them were there longer than others, but to give them an outlet to tell their story and be themselves and, and have their voice get out there and to book an independent show like a TV product first, which I don't know if anybody was doing at that point um, because it was very hard. It's very hard to be episodic uh, when you don't have a, a firm platform where everybody can come every week for this or every so often for this. It's tough if you're, you know, running one live event a month or if you're, you know, tape trading or whatever the case is. But I always looked at it as TV first stories, character building, emotional investment, and, I'm not going to say I got everything right, um, but I still look back at that with pride and all of that's it's on my streaming channel, ProWrestlingLibrary.com. Um, what I did later for the second six-year run with Premier Championship Wrestling and to a lesser extent, Welterweight Wrestling was kind of an extension of that because the, the promoter of, of Premier was a fan of Prime Wrestling and he used to come to the events and he wanted me to to start back up the, the brand. And, and I didn't want to do it because I thought we had written the final chapter as well as we were going to. Uh, so we started a new thing and all of a sudden here's a whole new crop of talent. Here's uh, Lee Moriarty and here's uh, the Coger brothers and here's Ace Austin and Ace Perry and Trey Miguel and, and all of these other great talents that are coming up. Uh, uh, Zoe Sky, Ray Lynn, um, you know, uh, uh, the, Pittsburgh version of the main event, Gannon Jones Jr. Duke Davis, and um, all of these guys and girls that that um, again, I could give them a different style and a different presentation. It's not the the super indie type show. It's not just the the traditional spot show. It's trying to do that storytelling, and it was a lot more challenging to do without that television platform, you know, because your audience. Um, wasn't necessarily consistent. They're not going and paying 12 times a year. Um, so that was a lot more of a challenge. And I was working with a novice promoter who, who would be the first to admit that, that they weren't necessarily the best at it. So um, Premier and Welterweight weren't quite as successful as Prime in terms of, of audience and in terms of staying power. But I enjoyed those again because... And maybe this is something you can do as, as, as a callback to, to, to my sexuality or my own journey in wrestling and in life as well. Um, I really liked working with talent and helping them find who they are and helping them find who they're comfortable being. And once it clicks and once they get it and you can tell they get it, um, it was I, I was like a, a, a proud big brother. You know, watching a lot of them put those pieces together and um, booking wrestling, promoting wrestling is uh, uh, no bueno for the mental health. There's a lot of challenges and a lot of stress that goes into that. And that's why I'm not in a hurry to go back into it. 
but working with um, so many of those great talents, uh, I look back at it fondly because all the stress was worth it when I'm able to see um, people succeed today. And and again, I want to make it clear. I take no, maybe I'll take 0.001% of the credit of, of any of these people because they always had it in them. Maybe I just like uh, uh, turn their body like 45 degrees to the left and gave them a little nudge in the back to, to convince them, maybe try going that way. <laughs> but it was all what they had in them to, 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 to go from there. So the Garganos of the world and, and, and everybody beyond that. Um, I'm just so proud that they're, they're achieving big things. And I'm so proud I was a part of their journey. Um, Vic Joseph, the NXT announcer started under us. Uh, if I could have any part of them in their growth and development, I'm proud to have done it because uh, uh, I've always felt kind of connected to those young kids that didn't really know who, like, who am I as a character? What's your character? What's your story? I'm calling you match tonight. I don't know. Let's mm. find out. Let's let's talk about it. What are you into? Yeah. What do you like? What what did you do? What sports did you play? You know? And I have that conversation with young talent pretty much every event I do because there's somebody I meet and there's somebody that's like deer in headlights. No one's ever asked me that before. Uh, I don't know. All right, let's let's figure it out. You know, because if you don't know your story, how are you going to tell it out there? Mm -hmm. So, um. All of this is connected like a big web and like booking helps me understand characters and helps me call the match and it helps me kind of figure out like the psychology of everything. And it just wearing all those hats has made me better at, at the other hats I wear. And and uh, I'm thankful for those opportunities. No, uh, for sure. And also, you can correct me anytime. It's totally fine. <laughs> no, no, I forget half the stuff I've done, so I can't even do that. It's all right. Nobody, nobody is infallible in in this world. I am totally fine with it. But like speaking to to that experience and what you talked about there, just like helping people find themselves in a way in in wrestling, so to speak. Like that, I think is what's really cool about watching what's been kind of happening in Pittsburgh in recent years. Now with, with the local scene there, you know, whether it be IWC or or, or Rise, you know, in, in the greater area there and then of course enjoy popping up recently and, and you know everything that that mb young is doing with his school out there now and the stuff that there and it's been really awesome to kind of see you on the broadcast with enjoy now in the last few events and um kind of talk to me about like what that experience has been like for you because there's a number of people on those shows that like that you mentioned by name, Justin, in the, your last like answer there that are still kicking it there. And there's a whole bunch of new people that are writing their own stories in Pittsburgh right now. Like, what are you feeling whenever you're going to, to work those enjoy shows? Um, yeah, I, I've thought that Pittsburgh has been such an overlooked area really since I started. And the best way I can I attribute that to is so many of the talents that um come out of there don't necessarily take that traditional um indie roadmap uh, uh hustle and grit path you know uh elias came from there but he really didn't uh, spend a lot of time as a traveling independent talent um you know uh wardlow came from cleveland but but kind of got his big break in pittsburgh but he but he kind of stayed centralized uh, obviously if you want to go back further Kurt Angle didn't do independence um so 
But uh, on the other hand, uh, Joaquin Wild, I've known since he was 16. When he was 16, I was 17. So we pretty much grew up together in this business. And now he's he's doing WWE with Legato del Fantasma. Um, but yeah, Pittsburgh has as 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 produced so many quality talents and uh iwc has been home for 20 years um enjoy wrestling is a really cool vibe because it feels less like what i came up expecting an independent show to feel like and it feels more like an underground rock concert and the fans aren't necessarily wrestling fans they're enjoy wrestling fans but that doesn't mean they're going home and watching Monday Night Raw or or anything else. Uh, they will go to the merchandise stand and support their individual favorites. But me, with my more general wrestling merchandise, if I have masks or action figures or DVDs or whatever, they don't get a lot of play. And that's cool. That's totally cool. It's a different audience. Um, but it's just interesting to see how many different, I guess, niche markets wrestling now expands out to. That, that it's not just you know, oh, you're a wrestling fan? It's, well, I don't really watch it on TV. I'm more into this, this, and this, but enjoys a really fun live experience. Um, and, and it's fun, too, because in some ways, like, what's old is new again, you know, because these aren't fans that have been um, overexposed and oversaturated to everything, and they get into whatever they see. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the next season of Enjoy is going to drop on YouTube, uh, I believe, in, what, a week or so? Something like that? Yeah, it's, it's coming uh, up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's coming up here in a- April 13th, I think. So um, it was so cool to be a part of, of and, and I'm not going to reveal any spoilers or anything like that, but so cool to be a part of, of Edith Surreal versus MV Young uh, for the Enjoy Championship. Uh that felt special. Yeah. And I, I don't care if, if you're in Mr. Small's theater in Pittsburgh or if you're in a baseball stadium in Mexico or if you're in the ECW arena or whatever, but I mean, talent shines through. And that was a special match. And you've got great talents there like uh, the runway, Calvin Couture and Tyler Klein, who, um, you know, uh, check so many of those boxes as far as, you know, uh, the, the type of audience and the type of fan and, and, and the representation of the community and, and, and they do it better than, than so many. Cause there's such an authenticity that comes out in how they dress, how they carry themselves. It's, it's easy to invest into, um, Derek Dillinger, the production, <laughs> uh, yes. on my existence at times as he is, but, but, uh, <laughs> Derek Dillinger and Ziggy Heim have done such a great job as tag team champions. And they're so, um, they're so, so much uh, a powerful as antagonists, you know, they, they can get such a rise out of no pun intended with rise, but they can get such a rise out of their audience and they know how to push buttons. Um, Ziggy and Calvin too, for that matter, are, are, are two other talents I've known since their first match. And, mm-hmm. you know, Ziggy's always kind of had those like vague quasi Luna Bashan vibes where like something's a little bit off, but you got to keep watching to see what happens next. Uh, especially like early Luna, like Kevin Sullivan Luna. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and um Derek is he's just a giant piece of trash and um, <laughs> but he carries I it th- so well <laughs> oh like if he hears this interview he'll be like he'll tell me thank you so much and send me hard eyes or something like that's that's probably the night that's the coolest thing in his eyes I can say about him um but a talent like that like like MV has done such a great job uh, of branding himself with uh uh the um the polyam cult and and the cool thing too uh, about talent there being themselves is, is that that nobody's like stereotyped into a box nobody has to just fit a certain trope or a certain stereotype or anything like that like mv can be the representative of the lgbtq community he can be the the polyam leader but also he's a complete badass in the ring and like he's put on so much size. He almost reminds me of like a polyamorous big van Vader. Oof. Now there's a soundbite for you. That is um, a soundbite. That's a compliment right there. Oh my God. It absolutely. It's, um, yes. but yeah, like it's the energy there is infectious and it's the most diverse, um, locker room I've ever been in. When it comes to just, just all walks of life, all identities, you know, uh, uh, everybody's welcome as long as as long as you got the talent, as long as you can go. And, um, you know, it's, it's probably the only uh, uh, one that, that, that tops MLW as far as, as as just diversity, as far as just different walks of life and ethnicities and everything else. Um, but why that's so cool for me is it's so many different stories to tell. Yeah. Um, that you may not get in a traditional independent show. These aren't stories I'm going to tell in uh, rural North Carolina on a road trip. You know, these are stories that that enjoy has found their audience. They cater heavily to that audience, and that excitement and that buzz is what's going to make them grow. Um, and and so many of those stories too. I'm emotionally attached to because they're things I can relate to. It's the outcast finding their sense of purpose. It's, um, you know, watching these characters develop as these athletes develop and change as people and discover who they are as people. Um, you know, to go from still life with apricots and pears to Edith Surreal, to go from MV Young florida kid in plain trunks to mv young with the dangly earring and the bad attitude like <laughs> like it, it's it's really art imitating life imitating art and it's blurring the lines with fantasy and reality and that's where i think wrestling has done best where um one of my favorite kevin sullivan quotes is is you tell the truth as much as you can uh so they'll believe the lie and the lie is the suspension of disbelief we're all willingly part of um, but if there's so much truth grounded in it, it's so easy to get lost into it. And it's those authentic characters. And again, people just being themselves and ramping up that volume that makes me so pumped to be a part of it, uh, no matter what the letters in front of the company are. Yeah, and I feel like that like change in, in culture, that change in comfort for, for people, you know, allows for pro wrestling at, at all levels to have those more diverse locker rooms, those more diverse stories that can be told or characters that can be portrayed on programming, stuff like that, even up to like 
national brands that, that you work with, like AAA, you know, obviously there's the history of the Exoticos there and and all that fun stuff that, that comes out from all of the, the legends that have come through through that ring. And then, of course, with MLW, you know, people like, I love the fact that we are at a point now in terms of like LGBTQ visibility in pro wrestling that we can have someone like Alex Kane, who is yeah. a complete and utter badass who just drops people on their heads but he's also an openly bi man and like it's 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 there's these these two aspects like they both exist within him but we don't have to cater to the specific identity in portraying Alex Kane on programming in the way that we used to in the pro wrestling world Exactly. And it goes back to you don't have to fit in a certain box and you don't have to be a stereotype and you don't have to be what a certain uncultured percentage thinks that you are or thinks that you should be. We can re-educate. We can show people the diversity of our community. Um, One of my favorites watching on TV in another company now is Anthony Bowens. Mm, Um, Yes. Bowens doesn't shy away from who or what he is. He's very proud of it. He speaks about it and posts about it all the time. Um, Him and his partner are adorable together. Um, But um, he's still a badass. He's still this jacked up dude that can mess you up. And he doesn't shy away from, from either side. And like, I think when I was young, one of the things I was so worried about was, um, Oh, that's that gay commentator. Oh, that's, that's that gay guy. What does he do? Um, but I always wanted to be my long-term goal was always, no, that's, that's a great commentator. He just happens to be gay. Um, and I think Anthony Bowens is, is that he's not the gay wrestler. He is an amazingly talented athlete who just happens to be gay. And I'll throw out another example. I don't even know if you saw this, but on Twitter uh, yesterday, um, Akira made a post that hmm. uh, uh, said, if Effie, is the Elton John of the LGBTQ plus wrestling community, then I am the Billy Joel. And he wrote in, he parenthesized the B I of Billy Joel. Oh, I did not so, see that. No. Yes. So that was kind of a creative way to, to put yourself out there. And it was almost like a puzzle. Like, so many more people are trying to find new and inventive ways of doing this that make people like decipher it like a code yeah i don't want to assume i don't want to make any out-of-pocket statements but like i'm getting context so uh but the fact that that akira who is a deathmatch wrestler like if, if, if you're a if you're the most uncultured person in the world and you've never met a gay person and and you envision what that looks like in the context of wrestling, a deathmatch wrestler is the furthest thing that you're going to think of from that. But the, he, he's not afraid to bleed. He's not afraid to have scars all over his body. Um, and, 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 and he's, he's willing to put that out there uh, about himself. And that's just so badass. And I'm so proud of him. And, um, you know, he's, he's part of this, this evil group, the calling and MLW right now with Ricky Shane page and with Raven and um, as long as he promises not to drive a sickle into my face, um, he's got a huge hug coming his way because I'm just so proud of him. And again, living vicariously because that was the zenith for me. But yeah, to have these different shapes, sizes, styles, attitudes, um, 
breaks down those walls and it's not just the token spot. It's not just the stereotype. It's there's layers to this. And the more layered a character is, the more opportunity there is as a booker to put them in different situations and for their career to grow. So, um, and the more of us there are, the more comfortable, you know, uh, uh, the next person's going to be coming out. You know, I always look forward to National Coming Out Day or Pride Month because there's somebody in the wrestling community that's going to finally feel comfortable making that jump. And um, who's it going to be? And how how pumped am I going to be for them? So, um, yeah, it, it, it warms my heart every single time. Again, from day one, when I felt like the most lonely person in the world and nobody to turn to, and now, I mean, we're everywhere and, and we're we're multiplying like rabbits. It's insane. Um, <laughs> I love it. And, uh, you know, we just have to continue to, to, to spread our message and change those perceptions and preconceived notions. And, um, you know, uh, especially the ones you, you, you don't expect if you're on the outside looking in are really the ones that hopefully are making people realize like, Oh man, this, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was, you know? Um, a cool thing for me is I'm pretty sure I'm the first LGBTQ plus pro wrestling performer to appear in the country of Qatar. Um, uh, yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on there. And like I, I don't want to say anything beyond that because I'm not sure like I have to look back to who worked Saudi and if there's been wrestling in kind of the neighboring countries. But um, to me, that was a cool opportunity because um Again, there's people there that have probably never encountered someone like me at all. And let's be honest, never would. Because that's still, you know, that, that culture is, is at a different point and it's it's um, tolerance. Um, but I have friends over there now and, and, and who respect me and, 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 you know, are appreciative because I just called their match when they were doing AAA representing Qatar. And, and it's it's little things like that you can do. To, to kind of break down those little walls and make people realize that like, we're not the boogeyman out here. We're not, you know, we're not the, um, you know, the, the, the scare tactic on cable news that everybody should be leery of, you know, we're, we're people and we're just trying to find our way in the world like, like everybody else. And everybody has their own unique struggles, but at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat because we all want to be happy, comfortable, accepted and, and, free to pursue that happiness the way we want to. And uh, um, I'm just excited to see how that road continues for us in the years to come. Yeah. I mean, especially speaking to like the experience of, of Qatar, like obviously on the macro level, like the geopolitical level, there's all these things, you know, whether it be like, you know, the, the legalities against, you know, um, LGBTQ people in the country and attitudes and that sort of thing. But on the micro level, a lot of change does come from just humanization, just being able to put a face to a term. And, you know, we're seeing that a lot now with, you know, all the attacks against the trans community right now. And, and you know, the more that people, you know, a lot of that comes from people who either aren't around trans people on a regular basis or choose not to be and just buy into the, the demonization in that way. And like that, just putting a, a face to a term or just meeting someone from those communities 
can really get the ball rolling in terms of changing perceptions and and you know obviously like there are a lot of there there are definitely things to to criticize about criticize about multiple places in in the world and and attitudes towards our community but at the same time like yeah like work needs to be done to get the change rolling down the hill in that way well i i think always what it is like at its root people always fear what they don't understand yes and and when they don't understand something um it makes them angry um and, and unfortunately uh that anger becomes uh, uh, directed in, in, in places that it shouldn't. Um, and, and another thing too, is that, um, you know, you, you say a lot of people haven't, you know, had interactions with the trans community. I, I'll put a caveat to that. They haven't had interactions that they know of, you know, like I, I, Very I, true. I, I like I, I grew up in the closet. I, I, feel that I'm very, um, I guess, straight presenting. I don't know what, what term you would use for that, but like straight I, I, passing. But yeah, yeah, but, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, like you wouldn't you wouldn't have a conversation with me, um, especially back then. And no, unless I wanted you to know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like I encountered homophobes. I encountered people that would uh, say hateful things about members of the community, not realizing there was one sitting next to them or in the car with them or whatever the case is and um you know if they had known at the time um not only would they i'm um, hopefully not upset it but but again putting that face to it probably would have changed their perception where oh this person i care about is going through this maybe i need to, to stop for a second you know and 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 take some pause um i i, I hope everybody gets the chance to um familiarize and again as the community grows uh there'll be fewer and fewer people who aren't touched or impacted by us in some way whether it's a family member a neighbor a co-worker um and it's gonna take time and it's gonna take a willingness to to learn and i think so many people are, are afraid of change and i think so many political platforms now are like oh things were better the way they used to be and like no, they weren't. They also sucked, but for different reasons. You just enjoyed them more because you were young and had less responsibilities, you know? Like, <laughs> everybody looks at the past with rose-colored glasses, but, like, I could name any number of awful things in any decade you want to you wanna create so or want to bring up. So um, it, it's a long, daunting task, and we're going to be fighting it for a long time. But what matters is um, we're moving forward, and, and we have – each other's backs and we have more allies than ever before and even though we're going through a lot of stuff that that none of us uh deserve to especially the trans community right now um you know i think every time you see somebody spew hate or put out a a, a just hurtful tweet like that it helps rally more people to realize like hey that's not right like that's that person did nothing to deserve that. They're they're just trying to do their thing. So um, as more people tell on themselves, I think it's going to recruit more people to realize like, um, you know, hey, maybe I, I'm not a part of this community. Maybe I don't completely understand it, but I understand enough to not be a total shitbag. And yeah. if we could start there at that common ground and build from there, then then maybe we got maybe we got a chance at this. Right. It's a good first step. 
Yes. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be as difficult as it is, but yeah. it, 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 it's a pretty big leap for some, unfortunately. It definitely is. It definitely is. Well, we start to wind down here a little bit, Joe. I have to ask you a, a little. This is a personal question just because I want to know what it's like, but you've been in the building for AAA major shows. You call Triple yeah. Mania, um, Larry in person. I need to know. Is the in-arena environment as electric as it appears wherever I'm sitting here in my office in Portland, Oregon, watching that show whenever the Exoticos are out there? Does it is it just as electric as it seems like it is to me, the viewer at home in the building? Uh, I love the Exoticos because it's so fun to say Pimpanella Escabata. Oh, um, yes. Honestly, I think it's more electric because um there's no comparison and like we talked about with the voiceovers in the post-production there's no comparison to to, to the atmosphere of being there live especially with, with lucha where you're able to see how how ingrained in the culture it is how generational it is where grandfathers take grandkids where f- entire families go together where um hey son i watched him when i was a kid or i i watched her when i was a kid and you know now here's their child doing it or here's them in a legends match or a mask match lucha de apuesta um that's so cool and i think sometimes you lose that um in 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 transmission if not translation um and and especially too with one of the the tropes of of, of lucha libre is they have the uh uh Spanish commentary for the house because Hugo Savinovich mm. is, 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 is a cultural icon in his own right. And he's amazing. And um, I wish I had 20% of the energy that he did. Uh, <laughs> brutal, brutal, peligro. Um, so I, I feel like with, with, with that, um, you probably can't pipe up the crowd as loud as, as maybe I wish we could. Um, but, yeah, there's there's no comparing to being there there live. And what I would like to do that I haven't really done since the first time I was down there, I would love to be closer to the people to really feel that. Because normally I'm up in like a like a press box where like the the if it was a baseball game where the actual baseball commentators would be way up in the you know beyond the cheap seats. Yeah. So I don't get a chance to really be immersed in it. Um, but I kind of want to be. Uh, as long as the Rudos don't win and, and, and people don't throw things. Actually, <laughs> the one time I was down there for MLW and Rich Bokini and I were ringside and there was a, a great match. I forget who was in it, but it was, I think it was a trios match. The fans started throwing money in the ring as, as a way of saying thank you, which is a tradition in Lucha Libre. Yeah. And Rich and I started getting pelted in the back of the head with pesos. <laughs> God. I didn't mind the paper bills, but when like the coins came in, I was like, ah, that stings a little bit. So yeah, anything that landed around us, we kept. That was that was our, you know, <laughs> that was our hazard pay. Um, but yeah, Lucha is just so wild and so unpredictable. And um, I just have fun with it. And I just enjoy the ride. And, and I hope everybody at home can too, because it's just, uh, it really is a different culture. Like you can't just say, Oh, it's, it's, it's pro wrestling with mass. It's not, it's a completely different style of wrestling to a completely different culture of people. And it stands out uh, above and on its own. And uh, by the way, I got to shout out my boss Conan for stealing the show at the hall of fame with the speech for Ray Mysterio jr. That was so cool. 
It was, yes. there was, there, there was a little moisture around my eyes, just, just hearing the passion in his voice and how much love he has for Ray, Ray Jr., man. That was really cool. No, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I do want, I want you to give me the whole spiel on, on Battle Riot coming up this weekend. I want to hear about War Chamber coming up on Thursday. But bef- before that, I have to ask you, I in, I do research, obviously, for, for these interviews. And one thing I came across in doing my research was your tribute to Don West, <laughs> yes. which one thank you for doing that because that sent me down a rabbit hole of old Don West shop at home clips on YouTube. And that I just, I lost, I needed that on a very stressful travel day yes. <laughs> yesterday. Um, it was great. It was amazing. But obviously like, you know, in the interview that that's attached with, with wrestling mayhem there in, in Pittsburgh, like um, you talk about Don, Don's influence and in, 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 as a commentator and, you know, and that sort of thing. Like, what really spawned the idea to pay tribute to Don in that specific way for you? Um, I used to watch Don West before Don was even in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. When he did Shop at Home Network, there was a block of wrestling that would air here locally. And it was like four or five hours of whatever syndicated wrestling shows were available at the time. And then at midnight or so the feed would switch over from the local channel to just shop at home would run all night you get the sports card show then you get the knife show then whatever else um and don west was on the sports card show hosting this is like 2000 2001 so i would lull myself to a peaceful sleep every saturday and sunday night um listening to don west Scream about the kid Griffey Jr. rookie cards <laughs> and the Michael Jordan wax packs. <laughs> and I was, I did not care one iota about sports cards, not one bit. I have never bought any type of sports memorabilia unless it was like a, I don't know, like a $1 replica puck I found in a secondhand store for hockey. You know, I, I've never been into, uh, 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 you know, the Maguires and the Sosas and all that stuff. Not my thing. But Don sucked me in. And, like, he was so passionate about this, I had to watch. I had to see what was coming up next. So um, in my ninth or 10th grade chemistry class, we had to do a public presentation for the rest of the class selling, quote, unquote, an element from the periodic table. And our element was, uh, I think, carbon. Not that that matters to the story, but... If any, any of you science nerds out there want to know which element, that's the one we pick. Um, so I had the idea. I was like, even though I was really, really introverted, when it came to class presentations, I kind of came out of my shell because that was like I had like, quote unquote, permission to be like loud and weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's so, used to perform. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of took the reins in our group of like four as the idea guy. Because I had Don West on the brain. It's like, let's do a shopping network spoof. And I will be, I didn't say I'll be Don West because I was the only 15-year-old idiot kid that watched it. But like, <laughs> I, let me be the host. You're going to be my co-host and you're going to try to get your points in. And I'm going to keep yelling over you like a, like a obnoxious, like, you know, over-embellished spoof. And instead of going to the phones, we did like a man in the street segment because it needed to be more visual. Um, but I sold Carbon like carbon has never been sold before my friend mm. and um i got 104 percent on the project nice which brought my yearly average up to like 
60 or 61. So I barely pass hey. just, be- just because of Don West. It's passing, uh, though. Yeah, no, it worked. <laughs> and years later, I tweeted Don uh, a screenshot of me writing that story, and he popped huge for it. And he, he, he thanked me so much for sharing it. Unfortunately, it was the only interaction I ever had with Don. I would have loved to have worked with him. I would have loved to run into him at a convention. But just unfortunately, our paths never connected um, beyond me getting a chance to watch Shop at Home and, of course, me being a big fan of, of TNA when I was younger. So um, I've always loved Don. And I've always had little catchphrases and, you know, uh, whatever that, that me and my friends would talk about with Don. So when Don passed, man, that broke my heart. Because it meant I'd never get to meet him. I'd never get to work with him. And it meant that um, by everything I've heard, one of the genuinely nicest people in the wrestling world was gone. Um, so I was very, you know, uh, uh, emotional over it. And I think the only way that I could best personally honor Don is to to break out the same thing that made him so happy to hear about and, and help me so much as a kid. And... Um, it's it's so funny. I, I after Don passed, I was watching probably the same clips you were in your YouTube rabbit hole, and I thought, holy crap! My parents bought me sports cards, and I was like six, and I wonder if they're worth anything. Spoiler alert: they are not. That market collapsed years ago. But yeah, it did. <laughs> what can I do with these? That's tangible. Hey, I could pretend to sell them. So, um. The sports cards you saw on that spoof are the sports cards I dug out of my basement and looked up the value <laughs> of like three months ago. And um, and uh, uh, that that I, I asked Michael Sorg, who does Wrestling Mayhem Show, hey, would you want to do this? Because uh, I played all, a lot of those clips to him on uh, one of our tribes home from Chicago. You know, we had eight hours in the car like, eh, we need to stay awake. Here's this guy yelling about Ken Griffey Jr. for the next several hours. And uh, it worked, and he was transfixed, too. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to see that, it's on my YouTube page. Uh, uh, just search uh, uh, Joe Dombrowski's Pro Wrestling Library. Um, I think my URL is, is at Pro Wrestling Library on there. I changed it a couple months ago. It should be Pro Wrestling Library. If it's not, then I did it wrong. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I love Don as a character, and I wish I got the chance to love him as a person as much because so many people that I think very highly of – Jeff Jarrett and Scott Demore and and you know so many others uh, have nothing but glowing things to say about him. Yeah, he's he's one of those people that I wish I would have had the chance to meet as well, just based off of reputation alone. Not to mention just just the sheer energy that he brought to yeah. everything. And I will say, I popped real hard for the the Dutch Mantel rookie card. <laughs> <laughs> I had. I had to do the homages to the TNA run. I had to make sure that Jeff Jarrett, Dutch Mantel, and Terry Taylor were in there. And if yeah. if I had a Mike, if I had a Mike Tanay card, I would have included him too. But uh, but yeah, man. Uh, and anytime I can name drop Dutch Mantel is a good day at the office. Yes, yes. Well, Joe, this has been outstanding. I thank you so much for for sitting down and chatting with me. Let everybody know about what MLW has coming up this week and uh, where they can check out all the things that, that you're doing as well. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to say I'm so excited about MLW and I'm so thankful that they've been my home for the past year and a half now. And when I left Ring of Honor and realized that, that kind of my opportunities there had dried up, uh, MLW was the perfect 
moved to jump to, and I'm working with Max Stryker now. I'm the lead announcer. Um, Brian, I know you do your research. You may have to tell me, am I the first lead play-by-play national cable TV member of our community? I'm not sure. If Um, not the first, one of the first. I have to do a little bit more digging myself, but I mean, you know, especially on like the the major like televised national company level, you you may be the first one. Yeah, I know there have been some some color analysts. I know uh, AJ Kirsch did MLW before me, and mm-hmm. um, depending on on who you are depends on how out Pat Patterson was at the time. But um, but yeah, uh, if I am, I, I'm glad to be. Uh, I feel pressure. Uh, uh, I you know I don't look at myself as as a role model, but. Uh, um, I've had people tell me, uh, uh, not to sidebar too much, but I've had people tell me, like, yeah, you, you played a part in, in, in me deciding to come out. And that's just so humbling to me and so overwhelming to me. Um, you know, I, I believe I'm a good person, but but like all of us, I'm a flawed person, and I'm still working on myself. So to be kind of at the forefront and maybe have people uh, look at me with that reverence, it, it's it's intimidating to me. But, but uh it's motivating further for me to to kind of rise to the occasion and be the best that I can be and keep working on myself to do it. Um, but MLW Underground is on reels on cable every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Uh, East Coast and West Coast. And to me, it's the fastest hour in pro wrestling. And I dig it so much because it has that high end production feel. You get the lights, the videos, the glitz, the glamour, but it doesn't feel overproduced and sterile. You still have a lot of energy and emotion into it that may harken back to maybe ECW or Attitude Era or Mid-South. Or if you're a longtime fan, though that, that same kind of energy and, and chaotic mentality that drew you into it, we try to recapture that in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, big tapings this weekend if you're in NYC uh, at, uh, I believe, the Melrose Ballroom for our War Chamber event and then back at the 2300 Arena, former ECW Arena for Battle Riot. War Chamber, if you don't know, is our answer to War Games. There's going to be two teams of four with alternating entrants, um, you know, fighting for supremacy, fighting for dominance, as uh, uh, it's going to be Hammerstone and the Second Gear crew facing Raven's group, The Calling, and uh, that is guaranteed to be chaos. It's guaranteed to be violence and weapons, and it's going to be a fun time, and it's going to be unpredictable, and of course, the New York crowd always brings it, and Philadelphia, one of the toughest crowds to uh, please in the world, right? The crowd that booed Santa Claus. So we have the 40 athlete battle riot, which is, you know, it's, 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 it's like a Royal rumble, but injected with, with, you know um, I don't want to say injected with steroids, but it's even a more souped up version of a Royal rumble because you got 40 entrants instead of 30 weapons are legal and encouraged. You can also be eliminated via not just over the top rope, but pinfall or submission. So there's so many different elements and so many different avenues to it as far as how to win, how to be eliminated, how to strategize. It's not just cut and dry black and white or over the top rope or not over the top rope. Um, anything can happen at the drop of a hat and the winner of battle riot gets a shot at the MLW world title. Um, and that's personally my favorite match to call because I grew up such a big fan of that match style. And I always try to bring the stats and I always try to bring the numbers and I always try to be the, the numbers nerd with that type of stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, such a wide open field and you always get surprises too. Anytime that kind of match goes down, there's surprises. So of course, if you're in the, if you're in the New York or Philly area, uh, check out MLW.com, uh, see if there's tickets still available. If you can't be there live, uh, check out, 
the, the channel reels because I believe War Chamber airs April 18th and Battle Riot airs April 25th. Don't quote me on that. But uh, if you don't get it's it's available on basic cable, it's available on satellite. If you're a, a cord cutter, you can also find reels on Sling TV or Freecast. You can get a seven day free trial of Freecast. So you can use that to sample MLW as well. Um, and also, if you're listening internationally, MLW is going to be available on Premier Streaming Network, brand new streaming network specializing in pro wrestling and combat sports. So we're trying to, to cover all of our bases with with these uh, uh, incredible athletes that, that are a part of MLW. If you look throughout the history of this company, especially the past four or five years, whether it's Lucha Brothers, whether it's MJF, so many stars of the future kind of cut their television teeth here and, and grow into themselves here. And, and Jacob Batu is a phenomenal athlete. Hammerstone is the cornerstone of the company. Um, Lindsay Dorado is so fun to watch. You know, you talk about my Lucha connections. Uh, Microman, world's smallest wrestler. Microman's a meter tall. And he's apparently maybe the best merchandise mover we have from what I hear. <laughs> People love Microman. Um, you know, Davy Boy Smith Jr. You talked about Alex Kane. Um, you know, the calling and on down the line. There's such a great, I mean, uh, Taya Valkyrie and John Hennigan and Sam Adonis, uh, most hated man in Mexico. Um, all these athletes, uh, Billy Starks, who's 18-year-old prodigy, who's, who's, who's got the world, uh, you know, uh, uh, on fire for her right now. Uh, I just love the the locker room. I love the energy. I love the excitement. And I hope it comes through in the uh, in the broadcast. And I hope if you guys can't be there live, you can at least check it out on Reels and support Major League Wrestling because a support of Major League Wrestling supports all the men and women that do it behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And the more options there are for pro wrestling on a wide mainstream national and international scale, the healthier the sport's going to be and the more jobs there's going to be for all of us. So I, I always tell fans, uh, vote with your dollar, vote with what you like. Don't tweet about what you hate. That doesn't do anything for anybody. Support what you like and put a platform on that. And let's get these guys and girls out there that deserve to be put out there and deserve to be presented in the right light. Um, and anybody that's interested about me, please follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore Dombrowski, Instagram at Joseph underscore Dombrowski. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I am always hitting my head on that 5,000 friend limit. So you can follow, but you might be on the waiting list for a friend. Uh, nothing personal. It's just a numbers <laughs> game. Um, my website is joe-dombrowski.com. I've got DVDs of the original works I've done, documentaries, compilations, uh, an entire history of every match I've called up through a year or two ago. I got to update it a little bit, but um, you, you guys can, can read my whole journey through that. And my streaming site is prowrestinglibrary.com. Um, over 500 hours you can buy, rent, or subscribe to right now. Uh, both my website on DVD and my streaming site on digital has content featuring AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, all the PWO Prime stuff. You can watch Gargano's or first TV stuff. We've got the old Heartland WWF developmental stuff, the Brian Pimmel Memorial shows. Um, maybe my favorite story I've ever told is finding Zach Gowan about mm. the first one-legged pro wrestler. He beat cancer. He beat drug addiction. He's the happiest man I know today. Zach is is somebody I wish I could be more like. I love him, and uh, I, I was proud to tell his story. Um, basically, whatever type of wrestling fan you are, I think and hope you'll find something on those sites that appeals to you and probably somebody you love watching today doing something you never, ever knew they were doing. So <laughs> um, that was a mouthful. <laughs> uh, but 
I, I think I got out all the big stuff I'm doing, but of course the big one's MLW because I'm gearing up. I'm hitting the road tomorrow and I'm so excited to uh, just be a part of their growth and uh, to be, you know, on TV as the voice of an episodic pro wrestling product, which is where I envisioned myself all those years ago in my room with those action figures. And now I've got real life athletes in front of me and, and I'm, I'm living my dream and, and I couldn't be happier. There you go. As a fellow person who grew up with their action figures in their room, calling matches as they were bashing them together. It, it's, it's wonderful to see. And I'm so happy to see all of your success, Joe. And thank you again for, for coming on the show. Thank you for the platform and, and anybody who is still listening, bless you. And I appreciate <laughs> you so much. Uh, I know we ran long, but we did. Uh, uh, I appreciate but... the chance to, to tell some parts of my story that I don't normally get to talk about and hopefully uh, uh, meet some new fans along the way. So uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for checking us out. Exactly. Thank you once again to, to Joe for taking the time to sit down and chat with me all about his illustrious career, what MLW and, and Enjoy Wrestling have coming up for us in the next uh, weeks coming, uh, and as well as, uh, really, I really do want to thank him for sending me down that uh, that little trip down Don West Memory Lane, because uh, it really did help me on that day, and I've gone back to it since, and I don't know, it's just... I love like being reminded of how um, passionate and kind-hearted he was, even if it's just through him yelling about some basketball cards or some baseball cards on a very, very grainy uh, VHS rip of him on Shop at Home Network on, that's been put up to YouTube. So uh, thank you once again, Joe. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, make sure to come back next week for another episode. Uh, and I will say we are still planning on doing a for the culture review. I know we kind of postponed that here because one, I was sick. Um, and two, you know, Casey, my, my partner normally does that show with me and, um, they've been out of town as well. So <laughs> just been kind of like, passing like ships in the night in, in over the last two weeks in a way, but I do plan on getting that put together and putting that up um, here soon uh, because I, that show, I love that show. Um, and I love talking about that show every year with KC. Um, I just love talking about pro wrestling with my, with my spouse. I don't know. That's it's a really fun experience for me. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. Come back next week for another episode. Um, make sure to follow the new feed. Remember, this show has its own feed now. So search LGBT in the ring in your podcast service of choice. We're on all the major ones now um, instead of Outsports. So uh, that being said, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated and boosted if at all possible. It includes monkeypox. And happy 13th birthday to Hood Slam. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the